so simple to fall into scams. It's easy to get excited and let adrenaline uh, push you to invest in something that you don't know enough about and the market may be pulled right out from under you at the worst time. In this episode of Getting Money Right, we're talking about investing for retirement, and we're gonna take you through all the complex investment terms that you hear, and we're gonna make them super simple. We're gonna give you the confidence that you need to go out and make some retirement investing decisions and teach you what it takes to become a millionaire. David, there are so many different ways to invest today, and I think the most important part as we begin this show is to talk about a foundational principle. And that being that you never invest in something you don't understand. For example, do you understand how cryptocurrencies work? What are Bitcoin miners, blockchain, hash rates, paper share mining pools, fiat currency versus cryptocurrencies? If you don't, then don't invest in Bitcoins. Do you understand the Iraqi government, the geopolitical history of the Middle East, and how oil prices and OPEC and everything affects the currencies in the Middle East. If not, then don't invest in the Iraqi dinar or any other Middle Eastern currency. You know, I could go on and on, but the point is that you have to educate yourself before you invest in something. There is a healthy balance to the amount of research you do so that you have proper knowledge. And I believe that after listening to this series on investing, you'll feel more confident in making long-term, well-diversified investments in the stock market or any other type of investment. Yeah, I love that, Leo. If we don't start with a basis of education and understanding, then it's so simple to fall into scams. It's easy to get excited and let adrenaline uh, push you to invest in something that you don't know enough about. And the market may be pulled right out from under you at the worst time. Because if you're following what everyone else is doing, well, essentially, greed starts to set in and this idea of get rich quick. And I think I found the magic bullet. And if I invest in these beans, then my my big bean stock is going to grow and I'll steal giant gold from the giant in the cloud. OK, we're going between, <laughs> you know, Jack and the Beanstalk and Bitcoin and Iraqi Dynamite. But here's the thing. It can be make-believe. And if you do not know what you're doing, if you don't have a level head on your shoulders, if you start investing in stuff you don't understand, you can easily get into trouble. And so that's one of the ground rules, and I'm glad we laid it. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other thing is not to put all your eggs in one basket. You have to spread the money around. Imagine butter spreading across a warm toast. You don't want it all on one side. You don't want it all in one bite. You want to spread it around. I know that's about the best example, but what we're trying to describe to you is that when you take and invest in one area or in one stock or in one specific sector, it's very easy for that one sector or one stock to just fall. And when it does, if you put everything you have worked for in that and you lose it all, we've all heard of Enron, then what happens is you end up being in a very difficult situation. You have to understand how to diversify to spread around your investment dollars to ensure a higher level of safety as you invest. Yeah. You know, about 10 minutes ago, Leo, you made some bread with butter and you poured cinnamon sugar on top of it. You're making it for your wife. It was amazing. Uh, you know, I didn't get to eat any, but it, it was amazing what you were doing. But I looked at it and I, and I imagined for a second, knowing we we're going to talk about this, you know, what if all the butter was in that one corner and all the cinnamon sugar was in the one corner and the rest of the toast was completely plain? You might really enjoy that one bite or it might be a little bit much, but <laughs> overall it's better when it's spread around. 
And this is actually wisdom that goes back over 2,000 years. Uh, It's written in an ancient codex called the Book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes means teacher or gatherer of wisdom and knowledge. And the wise King Solomon wrote this book, and he said, "...to send your bread across the waters." For you will find it after many days, invest into seven ventures, yes, into eight. For you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. He said, send your bread across the water. What he's actually talking about is take your grain, you know, take your livestock, take your investments and send it out, invest in other countries, sell it to other countries. Uh, If you're personally investing, do, do invest. Don't be afraid to do business and invest. Send it out across the waters but invest into seven or even eight ventures because you don't know where disaster is going to strike. And if you put it all in one ship and that ship goes down, you're ruined. But if you've put it across seven or eight ships or into seven or eight different countries, uh, you have a lot more diversity. Uh, You've spread that butter around. And when you spread it, you have safety in that. And so, Leo, you used a great term, and it's one that I think most of our listeners will recognize, but I think some will want a little refresher on. And it's the idea of stock. And you said that, you know, if you put all your money in one stock, something bad could happen and you could end up ruined. So what is stock? And when I think about what stock is, uh, I think back to growing up, the thing that I loved more than anything else was going to the snow cone stand during the summer. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's sugar, it's ice, and it's really hot here in Texas. And so snow cones were just the tops for a 10-year-old David Thompson, really a 20-year-old David Thompson. And still today, David in his 30s still loves a good snow cone. So imagine that I want to start a snow cone stand. It brought me a lot of great joy as a child. Now I want to share that joy with others. And so I begin to uh, buy a shack and that shack costs $5,000. And then let's say I spend $1,000 on an ice machine and $1,000 on water and sugar and ice, $1,000 on flavoring, on marketing to sell the business. um, And then $1,000 just in snack food. Overall, I personally have invested $10,000 to build a snow cone stand. And this is my company, and I own the snow cone stand. It's a $10,000 upfront cost for me, but across the year, I'm going to sell $40,000 worth of snow cones, and my family can live on the profits from that business. Now, it's just enough for us to live on it. We're not necessarily getting super rich, but we can live on it but I have a desire in my mind to build another snow cone stand so I can make more money, but I don't have any extra money right now. I've already spent my 10 grand to build this first one. I'm living just barely on what I'm making. And so my friend, uh, in this case, you, Leo, (laughs) I'm going to use you as a guinea pig here. And Leo says, hey, I'll invest uh, another $10,000. And that way you can build a second shop. And so David, now you'd have two shops. You would have put in 10000 I would have put in 10000 And so we both would have 50% ownership. You own 50% of the company. I own 50%. What you're doing is you are buying stock in my company. And, and it's, it can be very simple. Uh, we take 10 pieces of paper and we write the word stock on them. And I give you five of those 10 and you give me the other five. And so we both have 50% of the stock. The stock is just, it's going to be a little bit more formal, a little bit more fancy. There's going to be some legal signatures, 
but it is a piece of ownership. That's all it means. If Leo puts $10,000 into my company for some stock, that means he owns a little bit of that company. And so imagine that once Leo and I have built this snow cone stand and it grows and the second one grows and we use the profits from it to make a, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth snow cone stand. Well, now we've got six snow cone stands, each worth probably at least $10,000. So our company went from being worth 10000 to then 20000 when Leo bought in to now $60,000 at a minimum. That's kind of the, the capital or the amount that it's worth. And so do you think that Leo's part ownership, that 50% is worth uh, another, I don't know, if it was initially worth 10000 it's probably worth 30000 now, right? And so the stock goes up in value as the company goes up in value. And so he bought in for 10,000, but the company's worth 60,000 now. And it's kind of fun how business works. But when we talk about stock, all we're doing is talking about businesses that go up in value. Yeah, and the ownership that goes into the business is divided up. You were the initial investor, you put in your money, and then I came in as a as a partner and so together, then we grew the business. And sure, we put in 20000 but then the profits of the business actually grew the business from two to six. And that's what's great about the, the time we live in is that we can't actually do that. Anyone can do that. And as you want to bring more and more investors in, you sell them a piece of the stock. And now it becomes more and more valuable. And that's really what stock is. Now, there's high risk with having just single stock. For instance, if David were to go to jail, we won't say why, but let's say just David goes to jail. <laughs> of course, of course. What that happens. happens to the snow cone stands? It potentially fails. If new competition comes in, it could fail. If taxes on sugar goes up, it'll affect the bottom line. Maybe the company can't make the payments. Maybe, maybe whatever it is that's causing that company to stay, it's as it's affected by, gosh, maybe a hurricane comes through and takes out two of the six uh, uh, businesses. Whatever it is, it's going to affect the stock, and if all of your stock, if we were to bring an investor in and sell them 10, 20% of the business, when that business fail, they lose the stock. And that's the difficult part of owning stock just in one company is that you literally are at risk if anything were to happen. And there's many things that could happen. Yeah, I love I love what you said earlier. You hinted at it. But uh, right now you're hearing from Leo and I that it is a bad idea to ever invest all of your money into one stock. And the perfect example comes from the late 1990s. And that is Enron, right? And Enron was this amazing company. It was like the shining star of the stock market. And the stock market, all that is, is a large market where people buy stocks. <laughs> you know, you have the grocery market. Uh, that's a big market where you buy groceries. Well, this is a stock market. It's not that not that complex. You go to the market to buy companies. And the company that was the hottest company of all was Enron. And people were buying it in the late 90s. And you'd buy it in 1996. But by 1998, it would double. And so if you put in $10,000, it's worth 20. And then by the year 2000, it would double again. And it was it was doubling so fast. People didn't know what to do with themselves. Everybody was throwing their money at Enron. Can we buy some stock? Can we buy some stock? Well, it turned out that Enron had done a lot of things immorally and illegally in the way they were doing their accounting. And the whole business fell apart. And nobody, the, the stock, the value of the company went from being 
millions, hundreds of millions, even in the billions, to worth zero. It went into bankruptcy, and they couldn't even pay their debts, let alone give any money back to their owners. And so people who had put all their money in one place were completely destroyed by that quote-unquote investment. And so be careful. Spread that money around. We don't want all the butter and sugar in one corner of the toast. (laughs) Um, All right, so here's another fun term, and it's one that you'll see sometimes. It's the dividends. So what is a dividend? Well, let's imagine that Leo and I's snow cone stand, uh, it goes from uh, $60,000 in value, and then we stop buying more snow cone stands, but we produce a huge profit every year. Let's say we're bringing in $200,000 of profit. Well, that profit, we, at the end of the year, as co-owners, we're going to divide out that profit. So we are going to divide and divide and end it out to both of us. The dividend is a dividing out to the end party, dividend. And so we divide that profit. Leo gets 100000 because he owns 50%. I get 100000 because I own 50%. Leo, as I talk about this, I'm thinking we should start some snow cone stands. <laughs> this little analogy has got me kind of excited. No, I don't know that we're quite there uh, with snow cone stand investing, but but that's what a dividend is. It means that, that the owners divide out the profit. And some companies choose to be growth companies where every time they have profits, they, they grow another branch. They build another building. Uh, Starbucks, every corner, there's a Starbucks on it. Well, it, didn't, it wasn't that way 20 years ago. You, you watched them aggressively grow, and every time they got profit, they'd build another building. Instead of turning it around and giving out dividends, they would keep the money and grow it, but the company would go up in value, so the stock you owned went up in value too. So there's two ways to have value. A, they put a dividend out and you get a check just every year, every month, and the other ways that the company grows. Now, that's stocks, and I I like stocks, and I like talking about it, but there's another thing that you're going to hear a lot, and that is bonds, and bonds, I want you to think of, uh, sounds funny, uh, you might have a different connotation, but I want you to think of bondage. I want you to think of someone who is in chains that has literally been bonded to somebody else. Um, You see people with chains on their hands. Their hands are stuck together. They can't run freely if they've got chains on their legs. Uh, Let's say that I take glue and I bond one piece of wood to another piece of wood. That glue bonds it together. A bond is something that ties two objects together. And so when I talk about bonds, we're actually talking about debt. And if you go way back, um, actually in the Bible, it would say that the borrower is servant or slave to the lender. And it's saying that when you borrow, that you actually go into a form of slavery until you've paid it off, that you are bonded together by an agreement. And so a bond, all it is, is a commitment, a promise to pay a debt. And so we use this really fancy term. We call it bonds and, oh, stocks and bonds and mutual funds. And it sounds sounds like we're doing something really interesting and unique. But really all it is is debt. And so uh, I, I like to think about it like this. If Leo were to lend me some money, I would write down on a piece of paper, oh, Leo, I owe you. I owe you 100 bucks. I owe you 500 bucks, whatever it is. And, and what they do in the corporate world is instead of writing I owe you, they put the word bond on it. <laughs> they print it on a fancy certificate. And all of a sudden, okay, here's your bond. Uh, we owe you money. We are in bondage to you. You have lent us money. So, you know, another way, instead of just buying ownership in the company, 
I could have borrowed money from Leo to build another snow cone stand, and I could have written him a big IOU or a certificate of bondage. Um, it's unique. It's a unique word, and I think it's interesting when you dig back into the history of it, you learn a lot about it. So the next big thing that I think that's important we look at is if we want to diversify, we want to talk about stocks and bonds, how do we diversify over a large group of people? Well, there are funds that lots of people put their money into. And if you think about this, if Leo and I both put our money into something together, we mutually funded that pool of money. Together, we mutually went and did this. If, we, if we're going to go together and do it mutually, we fund it. Well, there are mutual funds that take money from not, not one and two people, but from thousands of people, not take money. People willingly put their money in, but think of your investment at your job. And if you work with 300 employees and you're all putting money into a mutual fund, well, now that mutual fund, instead of buying uh, one or two stocks, they could buy a hundred stocks. And if you pool money from thousands and thousands of people, now you can buy hundreds of stocks in such a large quantity that you can buy it cheaper and you buy these mutual funds where lots of money is being pulled together. It's managed by somebody who knows what they're doing in the investment world and they use that money to then go and invest it with a diverse plan. Now, there are different types of mutual funds. I talked about companies that grow fast. Well, those would be growth mutual funds. I talked about companies that give out dividends. Uh, sometimes those are called income mutual funds because they're going to give you a little bit of an income every year. So there's different terms. There's international mutual funds. There's uh, local mutual funds. There's large capitalization, large cap mutual funds. Those are mutual funds that only invest in $10 billion plus size companies. Think of the Walmarts and General Electric and Apple and Pfizer. I mean, these are, these are companies that are huge. There are small cap mutual funds and cap is capitalization. It stands for the amount of money that it's worth. There are small capitalization mutual funds that will invest in 100 small businesses. Now, when I say small here, I'm actually referring like 300 million up to 2 billion. Uh, but this is a good way to have exposure to a lot of stocks in companies that you've probably heard of, and it diversifies and reduces your risk over time. That's great, David. Hopefully the explanation of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds make it easier for our listeners to be less intimidated for uh, investing. Now, let's look at discussing the options or vehicles we can use to invest in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, because those are the investments where we need some way to actually invest. So our primary investment vehicle is an IRA. IRA stands for Individual Retirement Arrangement. This is a retirement account which allows individuals to direct pre-taxed income towards investments that can grow tax-deferred, which means that any capital gains or dividends will not be taxed until it is withdrawn. Individuals can contribute up to 100% of any earned compensation up to a specific maximum dollar amount every year. And for most people, contributions to a traditional IRA will be tax deductible. Now, the amount that may be added to a traditional IRA on a yearly basis is limited depending on a person's age. The contribution limit for 2018 tax year is $5,500 for individuals under 50 years of age. For people age 50 or above, a contribution of up to $6,500 is possible. 
An important thing to know about traditional IRAs is that when you reach age 70 and a half, you are no longer eligible to contribute to a traditional IRA and you need to start withdrawing money from that account. There's also a different type of IRA that's called a Roth IRA. A Roth IRA is also an individual retirement account, but it differs from the traditional IRA. The big difference between a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA is that the money you put into a Roth IRA is not tax deferred. You have to put after-tax dollars into a Roth IRA, but here's the good news. Your investment grows tax-free, which means you won't need to pay taxes later when you decide to take the money out, like when you retire or anytime after you turn 59 and a half years of age. The max yearly contribution to a Roth is the same as it is for a traditional IRA, 5,500 for an individual under 50 and 6,500 for those over 50. There are maximum income requirements for both traditional and Roth IRA, so make sure you understand what those are before you invest. I also want to clarify here that IRAs are not investments themselves. They are accounts or vehicles that you can use to buy investments through. In other words, an IRA is made up of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds that you can purchase through your employer's 401k or 403b pension plans or through a brokerage firm that are then placed into an IRA. Yeah, with the IRA, um, you know, this is an individual, so this is you personally, it's a retirement arrangement and the government lets you set that up uh, through a brokerage, like Leo said. You can even do it through your bank, but I never recommend you do it through the bank because they have the highest fees. And honestly, it's not what they specialize in. So you wanna find an individual brokerage or an investment advisor who can help you find out, you know, begin that IRA and what mutual funds to invest in or where to plan your investments over a long period of time. Now, with the Roth IRA versus the traditional, and I call it the traditional because it was the first one. It, traditionally, it was just if you wanted to have an investment, you didn't have to pay taxes now, but you had to pay taxes later. When a congressman came along, his last name was Roth, and he said, hey, how about we give people the opportunity to pay taxes now, but not pay taxes in the future? And this is really cool, because imagine that you invest money, and if you look at compound interest, and we'll look at that in the next uh, episode as we continue the series on investing, but if you look at compound interest, the money is going to grow over a long period of time dramatically. And as it grows, it's a lot better in my mind most of the time to pay the taxes on it today and then be able to take that money out when it has doubled, tripled, quadrupled, maybe it's five times as much as you put in. Yeah, I'd rather you be able to take that out tax-free. Now, the math on the two is actually equal. This is really interesting. If you were to do the exact same math on the exact same tax rates and the exact amount that you put in was adjusted for tax, then the math would be the same. But the emotion of putting in your Roth, it means you're paying taxes on it today. And so it's almost like you've invested a little bit extra. And when you're in retirement, it's often a tough time. So not often, it can be a tough time if you've not planned well. And so it's a lot better to take those tax advantages then if you can afford to pay the taxes on it now. Uh, now, th this is to each individual. I think, you know, if you get into the 150 plus income range uh, and you start to lose some of the tax benefits, you start to, um, you start to be in really high tax brackets. 
well, it might make sense to defer the taxes now and pay them in retirement when you're probably going to be earning less than $150,000 a year. So it really depends. The math is actually equal. I'm not going to go through it here because it's, it's a little boring. Uh, but the math is actually equal on the two. Uh, it really comes down to the Roth IRA is more forced savings and it forces you to do a little bit more, go a little bit further. And the benefit on the back end is you don't pay taxes and it's a really nice place to be. So that's the Roth and the traditional IRA. And I recommend that you could Google it and say, you know, what are some brokerages that I can open up a Roth in? And you'll see a hundred different brokerages to choose from. I'm not going to recommend one to you here, but there's ways that just Google it and you'll find it. Now, what Leo was going into earlier is that once you've maxed out that option, you also have the option to invest often if you have an employer, if you're working full time for someone in what's called a 401k or potentially a 403b or even uh, sometimes a government plan will be called a 457. And there's a few different types out there, but the most common is a 401k and that's with companies. Just if you work for a for-profit company, they can set up a 401k. If you work for a non-profit company, then they can set up a 403b. They're almost exactly the same, but here's a little bit of, in my mind, interesting trivia. Uh, you know, people are like, well, where did the 401k come from? What does it stand for? <laughs> and, and so if you look into uh, the United States, you've heard of the Constitution, you've heard of the Declaration of Independence, you've heard of the Internal Revenue Service, you've heard of the White House, but have you heard of the United States Code? The United States has a code and inside of the code, I think there's like 52 titles. Uh, there may be a little more now, but there, there are at least 52 titles and those titles have tons of information in them. Well, Title 26 talks about the Internal Revenue Code and it's how the Internal Revenue Service uh, operates. And so the United States Code, Title 26, Subtitle A, and you go to subtitle and you flip to chapter one. Inside of chapter one, there are subchapters. Inside of subchapters, there are parts. Inside of those parts, there are subparts. And inside of these subparts, there are sections. And now we are looking at section 401 and subsection K. It's goofy. It's crazy. The United States code is gigantic, um, but we have gone through the titles, the subtitles, the chapters, the parts, and now we are on the sections and the subsections, section 401, subsection K. And that is the line, or not just one line, but the paragraphs and the writings that allow the government to give you the 401k and allow companies to take money, set it aside for your retirement. Now you have to contribute it, but they can take it tax free. And so you don't have to pay taxes on that money. And so it's really neat to me. I'm a little bit of a nerd in this topic. So why not go through the United States code and find it out where it comes from? Um, now, the cool thing is, there are Roth options here often as well. It depends on the company. Uh, uh, the company I work for is a nonprofit. And so it is a 403B. I work for a church and the church is a nonprofit organization. And so uh, I have chosen to invest in my Roth 403B. That means that I'm paying taxes on the money today so that in retirement, I will not be paying taxes on it. And this is really cool. Um, my employer has offered to um, match 
the first couple percentage uh, of how much I invest of my total income. So if I put in, uh, if I put in 4% of my income, they will match up to 4%. And so I put in 4% into the Roth. Well, the government won't let them match me in after-tax dollars. The government says, no, they are going to match you in what's called pre-tax dollars. So they do a traditional 403B. I do the Roth 403B. And so now I have money that's actually growing inside of my 403B. Some of it I'll pay taxes on when I retire. Some of it I won't. Uh, It's pretty unique. I hope this isn't too confusing or crazy. Uh, But what I have chosen to do is to invest in my 403B up to the match. But then when I look at the fees, and we'll talk about fees and different types of mutual funds. But when I look at the fees for my current 403B, it becomes conducive or attractive to look outside of it and then go open up that Roth IRA, the individual retirement arrangement. So I have retirement accounts through my nonprofit company that I work for, and I have retirement accounts that I individually own, the Roth IRA, and I'm investing in both of those places. And I'll tell you right now, I've chosen mutual funds as the way to go and some ETFs, which will break down. Uh, but, but this, it can get complex. I hope that we're, we're slowing this down enough to make it interesting and easy, but it is amazing what a little bit of planning today can do in the long term. Yeah, that's excellent. I appreciate you going into that detail because I think so many people get confused with the terminology of investing. When you start talking 401k, 403b, IRA, Roth, mutual funds, large cap, mid cap, just people are just, you know, their eyes glaze over and they just get intimidated by all those terms. So it's it's good to break them down and help people understand that those terms come from somewhere and they mean something. And I think that's the first step to just being able to understand what investing is all about, that it's not this big, complicated or difficult to understand thing. It's something that if you break it down, if you understand the basics, you can be informed enough either to begin to invest on your own or at least have the knowledge to be able to walk into the office of a financial planner or your employer, a 401k or 403b representative and sit down with them and say, what do I do? How do I do it? And when they're talking about these terms, you're not going to be confused. You're not going to be like, I don't know what to do. Just tell me where to throw it. And that's not an attitude that anybody should have. Again, we started this episode with saying, do not invest in anything you do not understand. So if you don't understand something, and if you don't even understand the actual terminology, then let's start there. Let's make sure you have uh, at least a foundation of what all this stuff means. So I appreciate, David, for everything that you've done to explain that, because again, it can be a little bit intimidating for people. So that's our first episode. We're going to close this out today, but we're going to continue with another, possibly two more episodes, so that we go thoroughly and deeply into this topic so that you can become more equipped on how to actually invest and, and do it with more confidence. Yeah, I'll give you a little teaser for the next episode. Can the average American experience the American dream? Is it possible that the average American with the median household income could one day uh, pay for their their grandkids' education, could own a home, could retire with potentially over a million dollars in the bank? Is it possible? What does that look like? Where does it fit into our plan? And so next episode, that's what we're going to dig into. And with that, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. And if you enjoyed it, please go rate it, review it, subscribe to the podcast, and share it with other 
other people. We're asking that you would take a minute. There's an easy little forward button on the podcast that you can put on your social media and let other people know that we're out there. We want to serve you and we want to serve others. We'd love to have you be a part of the conversation. So jump on leosebo.com and shoot us a message or find us on social media and come spend time with us. Uh, You can find the show notes at leosebo.com. You can download the podcast there and take them with you anywhere you want. And let me just say this. We look forward to having you join us next time so that together we We can can keep keep getting getting money money right. Understanding the basics of investing starts with understanding the terminology so that you're better equipped to make investment decisions and feel confident in the choices you're making. Thank you.